story, which so many others have shared with me and um, helped me with my journey. So, um, thank you. I um, <clears throat> first came into this room on Cinco de Mayo of uh, 2016. Um, that's not my sober date, but that's the first time I came in this room. Um, I'm going to try to summarize 24 years of addiction in 45 minutes, so bear with me. Uh, when I came in this room, I was literally dying of alcoholism. Um, I had pancreatitis, I was hospitalized. Um, I had multiple health issues, and um, I had basically used up all my drink tickets. <laughs> uh, I was thrown into treatment by my um, employer, which um, I had a resentment for for a while, but now <laughs> I see it was a it was a. Um, a gift to me. Um, I tried for a long time to get sober before I came here, and it didn't work. I was waiting for a Memorial Day weekend, because I thought, oh, I can just go into treatment for three days. But, um, but that happened sooner than that. Um, My problem really was not that I could live with alcohol, but it was that I couldn't live without it. Um, I was a really heavy drinker. I was drinking about three to four handles of whiskey a week out of a plastic bottle by the time I got here uh, by myself, and that didn't include going out to drink, and when I went out to drink, it was uh, uh, bourbon neat, so I wasn't a Cosmo drinker, I wasn't a wine drinker, um, I basically was mainlining a whiskey. Um, I was really sick. And I had a body that couldn't process alcohol, and I had a mind that couldn't process reality. It was, it was a hard place to be. So um, I'm here to tell you about how that came to be. Um, so growing up, uh, my mom was a helicopter um, mechanic, and my dad was a hell's angel. <laughs> so my mom, my mom wasn't around a lot because, you know, she was in the Army and um, we were living in Alaska. Uh, so my dad basically raised me until I was five. Um, and when they say it takes a, uh, what do they say, a village to raise a child or kid or whatever, the village that raised me was um, Fat Jack and Papa Smurf. A um, bunch of old biker dudes um, making sure that nobody talked to me or touched me because I was their little ray of sunshine. 
that way for um, about five years. First time I sat in a bar, I was four, because um, my dad took me everywhere, like you would take like your pet. Um, so he would drink his cocktails, and I would drink um, Coca-Cola filled with maraschino cherries. <laughs> I, they're probably still inside me. <laughs> I loved the marriage cherry. Um, so I lived in Alaska till I was five, and um, then my baby brother was born, and uh, my parents decided to move back to Maine. Um, so as we were growing up. Um, I was basically surrounded by um, by a crew of bikers, and my mom. She was like the front store, you know, like the person who went and did the did the job and made the actual money that you can put on the IRS form, you know. So I'm, my mom went to work, and my dad he uh, he grew a lot of marijuana, so. Every summer uh, that I can remember, I was carrying like jugs of water into the woods to to grow weed. So I can grow I can grow re- weed really good. If anybody you know wants to weed, talk talk to me after. Um, I was really resentful about that, except for um, in October because I I lived in Maine at that point. Harvest season was in October, so um, I didn't start school with new clothes, but uh, uh, after harvest season, I had all the new clothes. We had all the stuff. Um, We had um, the new cars, the new new truck, the four-wheelers, the motorcycles, all that stuff. But um, my house didn't look that great on the inside. Um, I was a latchkey kid when I was seven. So uh, basically when I got out of school, I was home alone. And I did my own thing. Uh, The big thing for me was um, not to talk. That was like the one rule because of the life that was surrounding me. Um, It was drugs, it was guns, it was bikers, it was a lot of illegal activity. And so I wasn't allowed to to talk about what happened inside my house. So at school I I was the quiet girl. And some people thought I was shy, and I wasn't shy. I just couldn't really talk about anything that happened at home. Um, So uh, at a very early age, I felt very separate, different, and alone. And I think we all know how that feels. Um, It might sound strange to some of you. Um, To me, it was normal. That was what... Uh, life looked like um, and it w- 
wasn't until I got into into school, you know, um, uh, elementary school and junior high, when my friends would invite me over to their houses, and I would see that that isn't really what life really looked like. Um, it didn't look it didn't look like my life. Um, I never got to have friends come over. Um, and I couldn't really talk, like I said, about anything that happened at my house because everything was uh, so illegal. So, um, so my dad, he, um, the, the Hells Angel, was an ex, an ex-Marine. He did, uh, three tours in Vietnam. So, he not only was, um... Highly living a highly illegal life, but he was also very disciplinary. So um, I wasn't allowed to cut my hair because girls don't have short hair, and I um, I had to cook dinner, and I had to basically do everything to help my mom to take care of the house. Um, my mom was an amazing woman, but she was highly codependent on my father. Um, so, uh, whatever he said was the rule. Now, my father was was a pretty bad alcoholic. Um, my mom, she didn't drink at all. And um, it, was, it was interesting because she was sort of always doing damage control on whatever he was doing. And I, as a, as a child, this is my formative years, this is before I started using, um, was, was witnessing this. Um, my brother's five years younger than me, so by the time I was in junior high, I was basically his, his parent. Because um, my mom was never there, my dad was never there, and... Um, somebody had to be there. So, um, I did all the cooking, the cleaning, all the stuff. Um, eventually, um, my mom developed a, uh, addiction because my father got in a motorcycle accident and that involved a lot of, um, opiates to make him feel better and, so he would take a pill, she would take a pill, and next thing I know, both my parents are high all the time. So uh, by the time I got to high school, um, they both had completely checked out. So I was going to the parent-teacher conferences, um, making sure my brother got to school, making sure I got to school. I loved to go to school because they got me out of my house because my house was crazy. I wanted to go to school, and uh, it was um, it was really interesting <laughs> for a kid, I guess, because I still thought that was like basically normal. Um, How do I frame this? 
So I don't know how it happened, but I became a popular person in school. liked me and I don't know I, w- I was quiet and, but I was not, I was nice to everybody I was nice to just all the genres that you you come across and I and I come from a, um, a, ru- a very rural area um, and there there came a point in my life where... I think I was about 14, and I had all these friends, and everybody thought I was so great, and I I was like, fuck you guys. (laughs) Like, just fuck all of you. Like, fuck you jocks, fuck you everybody. And um, got a skateboard, and um, dyed my hair crazy colors, and pierce wherever I could (laughs) legally um, at the time and um, and uh, all my friends sort of rejected me and uh, that's when um, uh, addiction sort of came into my life uh, there was always there was always access in my house so uh, I I had a, a freezer in my basement that was Filled with pounds and pounds of pot, like good pot, like kind bud. And I realized that I could take a bud of kind bud out of my freezer and um, take it to my friend's house and be like, hey guys, look what we're doing tonight. And all of a sudden that was super popular. <laughs> and um, so that's, that's, that was my gateway. Um, yeah, I smoked cigarettes here and there, but it was weed first. Um, and then um, drinking only happened because I was basically the only girl that hung out with a bunch of skateboarder dudes. Um, didn't have a boyfriend. None of them wanted to be my boyfriend, but um, but I hung out with all of them. And so we would go to the 7-Eleven, and since I was the only girl, I... I got to be the one to stand outside and get somebody to buy us alcohol. So, um, so I was the, I, I I was the provider of everything. You know, I, I had the I was the first one with the car. I was the first one with the weed. I was the first one to uh, hook everybody up with a six pack. And um, and um, I abandoned all my popular friends, which were assholes. Pretty much, and um, became a band, part of a band of mi- of misfits, basically. And um, we 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 smoked a lot of pot, drank a little bit, and did a lot of acid, like so much acid, and not like shrooms, not like the awesome hippie shrooms, like acid. It got to the point where I needed to have a 10 strip or else I couldn't get high. It was pointless. I, I, I remember I went to a school play that I was the lead in, and my aunt was the teacher <laughs> of the play. And we went to all of these um, elementary schools, and I was the lead. 
and I was tripping my face off. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh my god, it's my life. So that was high school for me. That was high school. Um, in spite of all of that, I um, uh, picked up a camera and it happened that I was a really good photographer. And I got into a Votech school, which I don't know if you have these in your, in your school, but it's a vocational technical school. Uh, typically, people go for um, uh, electric or car repair and stuff like that. Well, they had a department that was for um, graphic design. And I got in, and um, I got a full, I, I, I created a, a portfolio, and I got a full scholarship to college in Philadelphia. So while all this was happening, um, the weed, the alcohol, the acid, the photography, um, shit at home went downhill really fast. Um, my dad ended up in prison. My mom ended up in a rehab. Uh, my brother uh, at a, a family's house. And I was like, I'm out. And I went to Philly. Um, full scholarship. And what happened in Philly was drugs. They had ecstasy. They had special K. They had meth. And I was like, give it all to me. I want all the drugs. Um, and the only drugs I didn't do was stick a needle in my arm. And that's not a judgment to anybody in here who has done that, but I didn't. And, um, and so for about two years, I basically just did copious amounts of drugs and take pictures. And the result of that was I graduated top of my class <laughs> with a 4.0, best portfolio, best of show. They actually gave me more money after paying for my whole ride. They said, you're going to be the next Annie Leibovitz. Uh, but I was 19. And um, I was like, I'm not done having fun. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I worked for a while, um, and then, but I kept doing drugs. <clears throat> and I found myself as a cocktail waitress in a gentleman's book club, making ridiculous amount of money. My roommate was a, a dancer, so between the two of us, we had just so much money, so we were just doing, I was, I was doing meth in the morning to get ready for work, and I was taking Xanax at night to fall asleep, and uh, eventually I, um, I had to, I had to check out, and I went to, um, I got a one-way ticket to Maine, which is where I'm from, and uh, my mom was gone and my dad was gone, so I stayed with my grandmother. And she just thought I was really depressed because <laughs> that shit sucked. But I was really detoxing. And um, it took a
took like a month for my friends to be like, hey, where are you? Because this is before cell phones and email and all that stuff. We didn't have any of that. So nobody really knew where I was, and it took a while for anybody to actually care. Um, uh, but thankfully, because of the... Um, the way that my father raised me, I was constantly in survival mode. So I lived in North Philadelphia, and um, that's a place where most white people don't go. It's not really super safe, <laughs> um, but that's where I lived. And I would, I would, I would, um, so I moved back, I moved back, I, I mean, I didn't actually move away, I just came back from my hiatus, and I got a, I got a new job, I was, I was the door girl of a, of a nightclub, and, um, I would have to walk home at, like, four in the morning, and people would yell at me, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing here, you white girl, and I'd be like, fuck you, I live here too, <laughs> and, and they'd be like, oh, okay, like, eventually they accepted me, but it took a while, um, but I'm so lucky that, you know, nothing really bad ever happened to me while I lived up there, but it wasn't a good place to be, because um, I was constantly... Uh, I was completely submersed in my addiction. And even though I, I took a little vacation from my addiction, I didn't really get away from it. And as soon as I got back, I picked it right back up. And um, I knew I had to get out of there. So um, I left. And um, I went back to Maine to try to regroup and uh, my best friend um, overdosed on heroin went in a coma and I had an epiphany after I, after I got her out of the coma and I don't say I got her out of it but I had to go back there and, and help help get her out of it um, I said I'm going to California that's a great idea and um, so I hightail it to California and um, live in a hostel on the beach when I'm not living in my car. And that was a short amount of time where I actually wasn't doing anything but drinking. So, so thankfully, by the time I was about 21, um, I wasn't doing drugs anymore. It was just drinking. Um, so I lived in California for a while, uh, drove cross country three or four times trying to find myself. Um, back then, I didn't know what drinking and driving was. <laughs> so, so I was kind of sober for a lot, a lot of that time. Um, um, and then I decided, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buckle down, move back to Maine. So I moved back to Maine. Uh, to get my degree, and immediately I'm I'm drinking again, and um, and that drinking went on for years. 
and it just got worse and worse and worse. And the most worst part about it was that um, while I was doing that, uh, similar to my life in Philadelphia, was I excelled at school, <laughs> even though I was drinking every single night, every single night. And in Maine, uh, it's mostly icy for maybe nine months of the year. So I'm ice skating around Portland, Maine, wasted, going to school, getting my social work degree, everything. You know, I, I'm going to help people. That was my decision. I'm going to help people. Um, uh, uh, my, so I'm about to get done. And um, about to get done school, and uh, my dad dies, uh, liver disease, cirrhosis. So, um, did that scare me out of drinking? No. Uh, it did not scare me straight. Um, I tried to stop drinking for like a month. I think I did it for like the boyfriend I had at the time. I was like, oh, I'll get sober, I swear. Um, but I was so distraught because of the history I had with my father. I was just like, uh, fuck this. And so uh, sober didn't last for too long. And I decided to go on vacation and ended up in Hawaii. And I met a guy. And so I'm like, oh, I'm just going to move to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Still still drinking every single day. Like, and, and when I say drinking, I mean like, like blacking out. I'm at the gay bar making out with some guy in a in a bathroom in a gay bar I'm like uh, uh, my best friend's pulling me out like uh, you don't need to be doing this I'm like why not let's do some more with it this are fun you know um, like for me it was it was like always no um, no reserve I was just like if it's there I will do it it, you know, if it's in a light bulb, I'll smoke it. If it's in a balloon, I'll huff it. I just would do anything. I just didn't care. Um, I don't know how I succeeded um, in school financially, and um, I don't. I don't know how I did it. Like it's it's a miracle. I, I don't know if people just trusted me or if I if I was. Uh, <clears throat> People call it functioning. Um, I I wouldn't call that functioning really, but um, I apparently did because I got through all that. Um, so I moved to Hawaii, and um, my mom dies. So instead, um, so I go to Maine. I I do the berry thing. Um, I'm at her wake, and my best friend comes from Philly up to see me and I'm like I need alcohol and I don't know where she went I don't know where she got it but I was walking around my mom's wake with a water bottle full of vodka just hugging people <laughs> it's okay everything's gonna be fine like I could not I could not deal with life 
And um, I went back to Hawaii, and that's Hawaii was just drunk the whole time, like passed out where to the point where some of my friends were afraid because like they could not wake me up. Like we'd be camping like out on the beach, and like I would just be like, Wah. and um, I lost a lot of friends that way, really, which I'm not surprised. At the time, I was like, oh. I can't believe you're not my friend anymore. But, you know, I mean, that's what happens when you're wasted on the beach and nobody can wake you up. Um, I was also on medication. So I did that for a year. Um, decided to clean up my act, go to Maine, finish my degree. Um, so I'm in Maine in the winter going to work, doing a practicum, because I'm a social work major, so you have to, you know, help other people, um, getting wasted every single night, waste, like, <coughs> wasted, like, in the street, like, people are, like, dragging me to my aunt's house, like, okay, um, and I graduated <laughs> magna cum laude, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, how the fuck, like, did this happen? I was out of I was out of my mind. I I was just on this trajectory of like I hate life, you know? Like everything in life just pounded me down. Like like I said like from the beginning I was I thought, "Oh, I had a really shitty childhood, so everything was going to get better." Mm, no, it didn't. And um it took me a while to realize that it didn't get better because I um, began to victimize myself. Mm. Um, because at that point, when you're 30, it's not your parents' fault. When your parents are gone and you're 30 years old, it's not their, it's not anybody's fault that you had a shitty childhood. Mm -hmm. Like, grow the fuck up. Um, so I graduated, and I was like, I need to get out of Maine right now. So I moved to Philly again, and the whole time, wasted. Wasted at work, wasted in the morning, wasted at night. I had bars all around me. I could Every time I walked into every single bar, they had my drinks waiting for me. <laughs> like, they knew exactly what I wanted. And um, I would go to the bar in my pajamas. I didn't give a fuck. I was like, mm, I just want to get, I just want to get drunk. Like I had just started to like say no, no, no more. And um, then, um, then my grandmother died, and she was kind of like my last beacon of hope. Um, she was who I lived with when after my parents passed away. And when she died, I just lost my shit. And I just drank like it was nobody's business. I drank and I ate. I went to every happy hour and, you know, Philadelphia had all these awesome uh, happy hours where you could get, like, cheap food. And um, so I'd eat and i drink. So I got, like, real fat and I just drank all the time. Like, I would get home at like three in the afternoon and wake up at like two in the morning and be like time to get drunk and I lived in uh, the, this neighborhood it's, it's, it's called the Gayborhood it's actually on the map you can look it up 
um, and across from a nightclub, and it was a very safe part of town for a, a drunk like me because I'm basically sleeping on the sidewalk half the time, and, um, you know, guys don't want me, so I was safe, um, safe and wasted. And um, I actually was featured in the Philadelphia gay newspaper. <laughs> Me and my best friend, we were like, hey, because that's how much we just hung out there. And I was like, I was like, Danny, why can't I find a good guy? And he was like, honey, look where you hang out. <laughs> so... So, yeah, um, my grandmother died, and I, like, lost my shit, and somehow I managed to get on unemployment, so I spent six months just just going downhill, and my brother moved here, and he's, like, my last vestige of, of my, my kin, not totally, but closely, and so I moved, I, I came here, and I was like, oh, it's sunny here, it's nice, it's warm, everybody's having fun, I'm going to move here. And I moved here um, within, like, two months, and thinking everything would change. And um, not only did things not change, because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get into football, <laughs> I'm going to be a Texan, I'm going to meet cowboy. <laughs> Everything's going to be so great. <laughs> right, yeah. So I met a cowboy, and um, that cowboy beat me. And um, beat me a lot. And I was so caught up in my addiction that I just didn't care. I was just like, I, like, I, I didn't, I, like, I, I was working at a law firm. And in the summer, I was wearing scarves because I, because I was getting, I was bruised a lot, you know. And I was, I was maintaining this like really high level job, making really good money. Everybody respected me, doing a really good job. Um, but in the background, I was, you know, hiding, hiding whiskey under my sink in my bathroom because I didn't want my brother I lived with my brother for a while I didn't want him to know how much I was drinking like we had alcohol in the kitchen and then I had my own alcohol in my room and um and that's when it really began to escalate to the point where I was drinking 24 hours a day I was drinking as soon as I woke up sometimes in the middle of the night drinking at work and then once I realized I could drink at work I was like cool I'm just gonna drink all the time and I did I had a flask I had a flask in my cosmetic bag I had a flask in my car I had a, I had flasks everywhere I was like where are all my flasks and then I, and then I had the bottles to refill a flask hidden other places it was crazy I was like where is all my alcohol and um, the the amount of alcohol that I was drinking was just insane, and that's how I got to that place where um, 
you know, when you work at a law firm and you do a good job, they kind of want you to do a good job, right? But <laughs> when you smell like bourbon, they begin to stop paying so much um, appreciating your work. And I wasn't even trying to cover it up. I, I had gotten to such a point of depression because of the, the abuse I was going through and, and the missing of uh, the loss that I had never dealt with, the loss of my, my family, uh, that I just was basically, I think, trying to kill myself. And... Um, but not literally, like not like slitting my wrists, but just like mainlining bourbon, and um, it wasn't. It was a. It was a really shitty place to be, um, and it's shitty when you have all these accolades. You know, you gra graduate with all these degrees, and you know where you know you know what else has degrees is thermometers. Mm -hmm. You know where they stick those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's where I was. Um, so uh, that whole life's not fair thing came through my head. You know, labyrinth. It's not fair. It's not fair. No, it's not fair. But um, I needed to take ownership of where I was in my life. And, um, and it took an individual who I worked with to, to bring me to that point because uh, nobody, my family all saw it. I would go to weddings, wasted, disappear, um, never, not, not visit for months, you know, like my, a lot of my friends were just kind of like basically done with me, um, because I was. I was disappearing, you know, I was fading away, like, like I wasn't present at all, I was, I was just, um, I was totally fading away, and, um, so, once I found myself in treatment, I was like, fuck, this place sucks, like, every, <laughs> it was cold, it was so cold, and, like, I was wearing slippers, and, um, everybody was telling me what to do, and I just, I hated it. It was awful. Like, I don't ever want to have to go back to that. Um, but it was a huge wake-up call for me. And, um, and, um, it brought me into this room, and, um, I've been coming into this room ever since. Um... I've had some moments of relapse, uh, but that didn't stop me from coming back because mm -hmm. uh, you guys keep telling me to, to do that. Um, <clears throat> right now, I have everything in my life that I mostly want. I, I, I need to tweak some things, but um, I don't lack for much. Um, like I have a really blessed life. And um, what's kept me here is um, is the action, is doing the steps, um, committing to the steps, committing to 
the room and the people, having commitments, um, having sponsees, showing up, working with other people. Um, you know, they say God doesn't give you more than we can handle, but I don't believe that. Because um, I totally need God's help. Um, and I've learned that here. Because I used to think, yeah, I can do everything. Like, I'm tough ass or whatever. But um, it's it's um, my connection with God that actually has made me, like, want to, um, to live. I absolutely need God's help. Um... that um, just showing up at first would would cure me, you know? Went to treatment. Okay, I'll go to meetings all the time. Well, well, that's not that's not really what what cured me. What cured me was the journey I had to take to get here because um, it didn't it didn't take the first time. And at first I was really uh, um I had a complex about that. I was like, oh, I failed, I failed. But uh, what I've learned is that uh, I needed to learn those lessons. Um, you know, some people say um, God is group of drunks. I think God is grow or die. And... Um, if you're new, choose your sponsor. Um, I didn't get to pick my first sponsor, and she wasn't the right one for me. And um, I, I found a better one, and I learned, you know, that if you baby the alcoholic, you're gonna bury it. Like you've got to be tough. Um, and I needed somebody to be tough with me. Um, <clears throat> and I try to remember I try to remember every day um, because I'm, I'm a Virgo so I worry and I'm a, an alcoholic so I worry <laughs> um, but I have to remember that worrying is just praying for something that you don't want and, um, and when I do that I can reverse my thinking and um, what do they say? You can you can't think yourself into right something, but you can you know what I mean. <laughs> You've all heard it a million times. All of the things. I don't know. Um, I just try to keep um, my head, my heart, and my feet in this program and my head is inventory my heart is service and my feet are meetings um, and um, yeah it's been a journey and that's a, a little that's a snippet of, of what I've gone through um, but I hope that you've been able to get something 
out of that. So, I think I'm done.